Welcome to Madang Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Christina Cleveland, who is a social psychologist, public theologian, author, and activist. Today, she shares her new book, God is a Black Woman. In this episode, she shares about white male God, Father Sky God, Black woman's beauty, imagination is theology, Black Madonnas, her pilgrimage in France, and so much more. Please stay tuned. Please join over 3,000 people on Homebrewed Christianity's Jesus Deconstructed. Rediscover the freaking awesome Jesus this Lent. This is an online pop-up learning community with Dr. Diana Butler-Bass and Dr. Tripp Fuller. Make sure you read their books too. Follow Homebrewed Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join them as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened to theological podcast in the world. The Rainbow Push Coalition is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. Rainbow Push Coalition seeks to empower people through the effective use of grassroots advocacy, issue orientation, and connections between the greater community and the disenfranchised. Please join Rainbow Push and please donate. And please join the 7th Annual Push Tech, which is happening on May 18 to 19, 2022. Please go to www.rainbowpush.org and please join today. While every statistic available today shows the church in the West is in multi-generational decline, the opposite is true almost everywhere else. The churches of non-Western cultures have seen extraordinary and sustained growth for decades, places like Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Insights from churches from these cultures can help renew the worldwide church. They have the power to invest Western and global mission, worship and discipleship with new vibrancy. Learn more at theglobalchurchproject.com. Show your support and please order Invisible, available wherever books are sold. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com. This is Madang, an outdoor living room for guests to share their experiences and their work. I invite you to come in and stay for a while. Welcome to Madang. Today's very special guest is Dr. Christina Cleveland. She's a social psychologist, public theologian, author, and activist. She is the founder and director of the Center for Justice and Renewal, as well as its sister organization, Sacred Folk, which creates resources to stimulate people's spiritual imaginations and support their journeys toward liberation. An award-winning researcher and former professor at Duke University's Divinity School, she now lives in Boston, Massachusetts. She is with me today to discuss her newest book, God is a Black Woman, published by Harper One. So Christina, it's such an honor to have you on my little podcast, my dog. So thank you so much for joining me today. 
Yes, and it's so good to be connected with you again. I remember the, the last time I saw you in person might have been when you were at my house in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful house. And I remember it kind of overlooked like this beautiful forest. And I just totally, kind of said, yeah. yeah, I said, it's beautiful. <laughs> but I said, Christina, I think I'd be scared of living here. <laughs> uh-huh. yep. mm-hmm. I think I remember that conversation because it yeah. was right in the middle of the woods. Yeah, yeah but it was beautiful. <laughs> and I enjoy uh, working with you at Duke just for that little period that I was working with you. And I just admire everything that you do. So I just first want to say thank you so much for writing this like life-changing book. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you. It means a lot to me to hear you say that because your work has really inspired my work. So I, oh, I, I, really? I just, oh my gosh, well, the way you integrate history, the way you integrate gender, the way you, the way you work with theology. I mean, it's very womanist. <laughs> Thank you um, so much. Because it's yeah. been wonderful to watch other people do this work and then to take a stab at it myself. So yeah, no, I just, love your newest book God is a black woman and as I was reading it it's like I wish I wrote the book because it's just so like you write so well you made me laugh you made me cry you made me they were like so many things in that one book it was like a huge journey for me so can you just let me know like because you share a lot of your life too and I was like wow you had a lot of courage to share so many stories and like right from the beginning I was laughing because you share that story of your pilgrimage where you want to touch (laughs) the black Madonna so for our listeners can you just share uh, how you started writing the book and how yeah. you began this pilgrimage, because it's Absolutely. just so exciting. Yeah, and I mean, you're one of the people who's had a bit of a front row seat to some of this, because we were friends before I went on this journey. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I was, um, I was a professor at Duke at the time, and I had been a columnist for Christianity Today, and I'd been writing a lot about race and the problem of white Jesus. And really, it was 2016, when Trump got elected, that I, I discovered okay, the problem isn't just white Jesus, the problem is male Jesus too. And that's when I really started taking a more intersectional lens and looking at the problem of a white male God in America, um, because I saw that it's people of color, but then also women who just get separated from the divine because of the way that we understand divinity in the United States. And then look who gets to be president, someone who is racist and misogynistic, you know? And so- that really is the journey. That that was a huge jump start start to my journey towards God as a black woman. And I and I, I was like, I have to start. I mean, I grew up in the Protestant church, conservative Protestant church, and so I I had no images of a divine that was black and female, black and female. You know, I've read James Cone, of course, and others, but to actually seek out that was so important for me. And I found the Black Madonna really quickly and I fell in love. I mean, right away, I fell in love. I saw pictures of her and I remember my entire biology changing and exhale. I had been holding my breath in my whole life maybe as I was in trepidation around this white male God and the institutions that support him, like Duke Divinity School, you know, which has its pluses, but is also just a really white patriarchal place. And so being in, getting to finally encounter on, on the books, you know, this sacred image of a black woman 
and to get connected to the stories of people who for thousands of years have venerated her and people of all colors and people of all religions. I mean, there's a Black Madonna in Senegal of all places that has Hindu, Muslim, and Christian pilgrims that go to her, you know? And it's like, she's for everyone, you know? Um, And so- so then that sent me on the journey to France. So a couple of years later, I was like, you know what? I still work at Duke. I still have pro- professional development funds. I'm going to let Duke pay for me to go visit these Black Madonnas. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> so the journey kind of started in 2016, but the physical journey of going to the Black Madonnas was in late 2018. And I walked, yeah, 400 miles to visit 18 different Black Madonnas. I think I talk about eight or nine in the book. So there are uh, more yeah. stories to be told, you know, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, each one transformed me. And so like, it's really encouraging for me to hear that the book felt like a journey for you too, because that was my goal, you know, is to share my journey with other people. And it really, it really was a journey of adventure and intrigue and, you know, police chase and also beauty and laughter and connecting with nature (laughs) and meeting really quirky people. (laughs) It was a total journey. And that's a gift. Because, you know, I write books, but I can't write the way you did this. It was so beautifully written. And, you know, enough details for us to kind of jump into the into the pages and be with you. I actually felt like I was like in that coffee shop watching you. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a wonderful dream. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was so incredible. And that just drew me in. And I think Mm. you just share that, you know, with your other life experiences and the other parts that I actually, you know, wow, you know, you had a lot of courage to share some of your upbringing and your conservative church. And that is very similar in so many ways of my own journey. Mm. So I thought, you know, this is wonderful that you had this and then but you had enough courage to share it with the whole world because you really opened up a lot about your conservative uh, background and then how mm-hmm. you've moved on mm-hmm. so. yeah you know and it's so yeah I share I share lots of stories about my relationship with my parents including corporal punishment you know and some pretty severe abuse that took place um under the name of you know them doing their best job to try to connect me with God, but it's a white male God, you know, even though, and I think what's powerful about that story, there are a few things that are powerful. One, I show that I, I learned how to heal myself, which I think Mm -hmm. is so empowering for all of us, you know, doesn't matter where we come from, we can, we can heal ourselves, but also it's powerful because, you know, my family's black and a lot of the black church spaces I grew up in, off um, propped up this white male God, even if they weren't explicitly doing that, they were implicitly doing that. And so just showing that like, we all can be white male God, not just white men, any of us can. And I, you know, I'd write a chapter about white women being white male God too, you know? And so it's like this, and I think that's what's so helpful is, especially because with my social psychology background, I really want people to see these are non-conscious processes very few people are showing up in the world like Putin or something trying to be evil you know what I mean or like Trump Mm -hmm. like but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of evil in this world because Mm -hmm. of these larger systems and the ways that we've been conditioned yeah and I think yeah you also brought in theological imagination and then you use father sky god and I thought Mm -hmm. that term was really good because for me in the Korean churches you know we also had this white father God all the time. Mm-hmm. My mother had that famous 
like cheap print of Jesus, the white Jesus behind mm. the the couch that my dad found in a dumpster somewhere. Mm. Like we grew up poor, but we mm. we worship this white Father God. And the Korean languages, we when we pray, we say Father God mm. a lot in Korean. I was a lot. I was, I was in a, well, I was in a Christian acapella group at Dartmouth, so I know a lot of <laughs> Korean Christians, and I prayed with a lot of Korean Christians. Yes. <laughs> and we say Father, Father God, God every, every other line. Word. But yes. <laughs> Father God, we pray. Father God, we love you. Father God. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I know oh, exactly yeah, exactly. What you're <laughs> so when you wrote it, I thought, oh my gosh, that's just like how I grew up. So I really liked it when you wrote Father Sky God. I thought that was like a perfect thing that we people of color, women of color, have been so conditioned to worship and talk about and and it's been so detrimental. And you go, when you share your life, you are showing all these experiences of how it has been so negative. And, uh, you know, it just messed up your life. It messed up my life in so many ways. So that's why it was such a wonderful journey. In your book, you wrote, wrote there's 450 Black Madonnas, right? That is quite yeah. amazing. Are you going to go and... <laughs> like which one is your favorite like that's amazing yeah. I knew there were a lot but I didn't know there were that many yeah and they're on most continents so they're on the continent of Africa they're in um South America Latin America they're they're in North America um most of them are in Europe but there are lots in Asia too there's lots there's several in the Philippines there's a really famous one in Japan um so they are all over the all over the place um and the 450 is probably a conservative number you know, um, because those are just the official ones that are called Madonnas. And those are the ones that are associated with like documented miracles. So there are black virgins in lots of churches all over the place, but those aren't the ones that are like pilgrimage sites. And like, so, so yeah, I mean, there are 400 kind of like official famous ones. And then, you know, so many more that are just in, in people's churches. Um, I, I, I've seen, I think I've visited probably about 50 so far of them. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I don't know if I'll see all of them, but. Um, You're I, young. I, you can yeah, still see. All maybe. Of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I'm also kind of like you in the sense that like, I have these like really powerful theological moments, but I'm always moving too. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so. <laughs> And like, you know, my, my book, my book launch got delayed because of pandemic and just, you know, just like life. Right. And so I just, but I was telling my my literary agent, we better hurry up and get this book out because next year God might be a dragon to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, (laughs) like, I'm just constantly (laughs) theological exploration, Uh theological imagination is what what we do. Right. And so Uh like, So it's like, yeah, of course I love the Black Madonna. And there's a part of me that's also like, what's next too, <laughs> you know, um, I which I know you understand. You yeah, understand I, that. Yeah. I totally so, understand yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so but yeah. I, I'm not sure that I have a favorite favorite because it's just such a, it's like, who's your favorite kid? You know what I mean? Um, no, but, everyone has a favorite kid. <laughs> not just oh. <laughs> Every parent um, that says they don't, they're all lying. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to be diplomatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I would say the one that I keep returning to because it seems mm-hmm. like her particular water is what I need is mm-hmm. um, the one that I call She Who Cherishes Our Hot Mess. Um, <sighs> Our Lady of the Sick in Vichy, France. Um, uh-huh. it, at least amongst the ones in the book. She's the one that I yeah. keep returning to because uh-huh. she's the one who really helps me to see that my need 
Mm-hmm. My imperfection is actually my offering to her. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what she wants. That's what she wants mm-hmm. me to bring to her. And you know, I'm a perfectionist and I'm used to excelling at things and I'm used to being, mm-hmm. you know, in these academic spaces where yeah. disconnecting from your body is the best way to get ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah. so um, I have found even with the book launch and everything and just the ups and downs of having a book out where, you know, I, I'm sure you relate to this where it's like, oh, I want more people to be reading the book, you know, yeah. like the publicity campaign's not going as well as I'd <laughs> hoped, you know, just all the, the messiness. Yeah. And to be able to bring that to her because she cherishes our hot mess. Um has mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. But you know, all of them are like amazing. I love like I also really love um Our Lady of the Side Eye. Um and just <laughs> how how much she hates white patriarchy and mm-hmm. how much she stands against it and how much she's unapologetically black and for women. And so yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. it. So it, yeah. would you recommend others in search of the Black Madonna to go on a pilgrimage like yourself? Um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I think there's something, um, I think one of, the, one of the reasons why I'm glad I'm out of academia is because mm-hmm. I feel like academia has made it seem like theology is in the head. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think I, I think a pilgrimage, yeah. whether you're uh-huh. walking or driving or whether it's just down the street, right? You don't uh-huh. have to go all the way to France. Uh-huh. But I think an embodied yeah. search for the divine mm-hmm. is theology. And the interactions yeah. that we have and the stories that we hear uh-huh. and the emotions that we feel, that's just as legitimate as a book published by Oxford Press, you know? Yeah. And so uh-huh. like- I just, I want people to go on whatever their pilgrimage looks like. And it could mm-hmm. be down the street to 7-Eleven. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah, have to uh-huh. be all the way to France. But yeah. I think for me, it was so powerful to come face to face with images of sacred Black femininity and mm-hmm. to realize I have been starved of that. And this is mm-hmm. like healing water. Mm-hmm. But, you know, next week I have, I have tickets to go to a, a Black art exhibit at a museum. And that's a pilgrimage too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm hoping that people will actually first read your book, and then yes. they can go. The your yeah. book is doing so well. I don't know what you're worried about, but it is doing super oh, well. You. I'm so glad. And I know when I was sharing that you're going to be on my podcast, people said, Oh, I have to go buy your book. So I know even just like that, people are already going to buy your book. So one of the things that really caught me one of the uh, sentences that you wrote is imagination is theology. We can only believe what we can imagine. And our cultural landscape hasn't given us many tools to imagine a non-white, non-male God. That spoke so deeply to me as a theologian because, you know, students come and they don't know how to do theology. But people have used imagination with theology, but the way you worded this is so powerful to me. Imagination is theology, because many people would say theological imagination. So I just thought that was so interesting. I don't know if you want to say more about this, because I think that is just how you brought this whole book into life. Yeah, well, you know, it's like, I feel like there's a playfulness to the divine and a creativity to the divine that we are so disconnected from, particularly in these like kind of white patriarchal spaces. And so, you know, yes, theology is a creed for sure. (laughs) But if you go back to, but if you go back to even 
the history behind creeds, imagination had to fuse, had, had to infuse some of that, right? Like mm-hmm. even the idea of the Trinity, there's literally no like physical evidence of the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and many people will say there is. <laughs> many, will be, many, many people will say there is, but uh-huh. like we yeah. know as scholars, uh-huh. there isn't yeah. any mm-hmm. physical evidence and there's yeah. no place in no scripture. scriptural. There's no yeah. scriptural, right? But, <laughs> but like, but it's a very powerful theological idea that, mm-hmm. um, especially when I read womanist ideas about theology, about about the Trinity, I just think of like women circling me, you know, like three women just circling me. And um, so, you know, it's really, it's, I feel like um, I really wanted to show that there's something sacred about our imaginations. So Mm -hmm. we, we get to participate in the construction of theology and that's everyone, not just people who've gone to divinity school, but then also our theology helps us to imagine to, to, to actually be with God, you know, and I I was amazed at literally just looking at the images of the black Madonna on paper in a book and realizing, oh, I'm sacred too. Mm. I mean, I've read, I've read all the scriptures. For God so loved the world, you know, like, um, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. I've read all those words, but it was, see, it was, it was seeing the image and my imagination blossoming, blossoming that I was able to finally embody those truths. Oh, I am beautifully and wonderfully made because I can see it. I can imagine it now. I can actually, and so it's like, gosh, our, our, our construction of who God is if it's not imaginative, we're never going to be able to connect with this infinite God, you know? Yeah, Christina, that's so powerful because you bring in bodily experiences in the book. And one of them that I kind of related just apart was when, you know, the whole chapter on on starving yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and you do in other chapters talk about, you know, Black women's bodies. I think these are so important to talk about because we don't appreciate, you know, I, I wrote a short piece um the western white western um domination of beauty you know the white woman's domination of beauty so people like Mm -hmm. you and me I wrote it many years ago so it's probably not that great anymore (laughs) but it is you know we don't appreciate our bodies but then Mm -hmm. you grew up fasting and then but you use the word starving because you were Mm -hmm. when I was reading I thought oh my gosh you were literally starving for me, you know, that because I was in such a conservative evangelical upbringing, you know, fasting was important. My mother made me fast on Good Friday when I was a kid and I could not bear it. Like at four o'clock, I went to the store and bought some candy. And then I felt so guilty about that my whole life. I still have a piece of guilt of that. You know, why Mm -hmm. couldn't I wait about another eight hours? I couldn't wait. I just went. Mm -hmm. So your stories of, you know, starving yourself were so powerful. So say a bit more about yeah. this body, because you were already talking about it, and I just kind of interrupted you. Absolutely. So say more about Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 You know, and that's that's in a chapter on white male gods war on our bodies. And yeah. I just, I really, um, it was really fun to do some of that, some of the research, because, I, you know, kind of leading with my imagination, I then wanted to go and see, like, have people done work on literally like beauty and morality, beauty and goodness. <laughs> because I was like, mm-hmm, I feel like mm-hmm. what happened in my situation was if you didn't look a certain way, 
not only were you ugly or unattractive, you were also unholy. Like there was a moral statement Mm -hmm. about your lack of beauty, whether that's because you were too fat or whatever. And so um, it was really interesting to go and read some of sociologist Sabrina Strings' work that really makes this connection across history between anti-Blackness and the unholiness of Blackness and fat phobia and showing, you know, Mm. and then tying it in with some other social science research that really shows that you know, we are all in this scary rat race trying to meet some unattainable standard. And the standard is shaming us. And it's not just like, a, oh, I'm ugly. It's a, I'm bad. Like I'm a bad person. Um, and so, yeah, I got, I got those messages really early on in the church and um, ended up having a full-blown, you know, eating disorder. And um, that was something that I needed to bring to the Black Madonna. Because finally I had an image of God that I trusted with this really Mm -hmm. hard thing, you know, and you know what it's like when, when you're in the professional world as a woman, like you get really good at just being excellent, you know, Mm -hmm. like you just figure things out. But this was one thing I couldn't figure out. Like, why do I hate my body? And why do I, and why, why is my relationship to food and exercise so toxic? I tried all the diets. I tried all uh, the self-control. I couldn't fix it. And so I think that was a huge, it kind of brought me to my knees in a way to be like, okay, I actually need to imagine a God who's going to be here for me because the God that I have been taught, I don't trust with this. He's actually responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say that over so, and over again, how the white male mm-hmm. God is responsible for all these things. And I thought mm-hmm. that was so powerful. You repeated it in different places. And I thought that was really good. And you also because I know some people, you know, who may pick up your book just out of curiosity or will read it just to fight back on oh, totally. this. Yeah, mm. this uh, God <laughs> is a black woman. But the line that I and you and everyone else who will defend you will be, uh, like you wrote on page 39, so white people invented the white Christ. I think <laughs> that needs to be told over and over again. Mary Daly, she wrote um, that she has a fabulous quote, if God is male, then the male is God. She didn't mm-hmm. reference the whiteness, but you know, that is inferred mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think to say to people, white people invented the white Christ, mm-hmm. the people need to hear it over and over again. Did you want to expand on that? Because it's such an important <laughs> part of your book. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a great example of how imagination is theology, right? Like, white Christ is literally a figment of the white imagination. Yes, literally, white male heterosexual. Yeah, totally. Yeah, cisgender, all the things, right? And you know, to actually learn that the earliest actual image that we have of Christ is of a black man surrounded by black and brown people. To learn that the for the first 400 years of Christianity, all image, all known images of Christ or Mary are black and brown. I mean, like, it's just this unbelievable um, figment of a, of a toxic figment of imagination, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so I talk about in the book, just how really the white Christ was a tool during the transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade. You know, these mm-hmm. were white people who were doing horrible things to black people and they needed they needed a god who could uh affirm that a god who mm-hmm. who okayed this this these atrocities mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so they invented the white Christ. And, you know, there's, I, I love, you know, my, my old colleague at Duke, um, Jay Carter, Jay Cameron Carter's work, because he really talks yeah. about the, the anti-Semitism <laughs> at heart too, you know, mm-hmm. at play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh yeah. And separating mm-hmm. Jesus from his Jewish Palestinian identity, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. there was also this, you know, it, it was it was very it was a very powerful tool in the transatlantic slave trade um, to justify yeah. the subjugation of black people. Well, Christ is white, therefore Christ is not black. Therefore, we don't have to treat black people with dignity and respect because they're not really human. Because the humans are the ones who are most like Christ. Mm-hmm. And of course, and it was used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Add what? Add mail to that, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it, it was used during segregation. You know, it was used in so many different ways, and and ways that uh, white, you know, Europeans colonized other places totally. around the world. Mm-hmm. So it the wasn't just discovery, the yeah. enslavement, but the con- mm-hmm. yeah. So exactly. it's been evil in so many ways. I think people really need to understand the history of it to know where they're coming from so that they don't get all mad at people like you and I who are trying Mm -hmm. to say it was an invention. (laughs) So even, yeah, so going on from there, you also say for if God is a black woman, then she's a black (laughs) trans woman, obviously. So what did you, yeah, obviously. (laughs) So can you expand on that? Because I think that, because that's such an important issue today with, you know, it's popping up everywhere and people, you know, there's, I don't know, this new law with gay something. I don't know. I just saw, but anyway, can you expand on it? Because I think it'd be so helpful for so many listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So the way I think about white male God Mm -hmm. um, is that he's this white male, cisgender, able-bodied, American, English-speaking, middle-class or higher, formally educated Christian man, right? Um, And the more you approximate that and the power and the toxic toxic masculinity that is embodied in that, the more you are seen as sacred and holy. And Mm -hmm. so Black women are pretty much at the opposite end of that spectrum. Although there are black women like me or Korean women like you who would be like, yeah, I can't check white and I can't check male, but I'm cis or I'm formally educated and upwardly mobile and I speak English and I'm in these places of power. And so I need to acknowledge that, right? That, That on the one hand, I'm subjugated by this spectrum of power and seen as generally unholy as a black woman. But on the other hand, I'm seen as more holy than some other black women, like black women who are also socio socioeconomically oppressed and are called welfare queens. I've never been called a welfare queen. You know what I mean? Like I've never Uh been seen as a as a 100% blight on society. Because I've always done well at proving to the white people that I that I'm I'm a good member of society and I'll keep my job and I'll stay there even if they treat me terrible da 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 right and I have the degrees and I'll do the things that that you want me to do in order to try to get as close to that white male at the top. Yeah, and you share that about your time at Dartmouth too. So totally. I think readers, mm-hmm. listeners need mm-hmm. to read that chapter because you say it mm-hmm. so beautifully there yeah. of trying to be part of that. Okay, continue, trying to be sorry. part of that system. Yeah, yeah. and just yeah. The fact, I think uh-huh. I call myself white male god in blackface at that point, you know, and just saying <laughs> oh. like, 
you know, like I, I embodied all that white male God was as a black woman. Um, but then I think, you know, this, the part of the expansion of these 450 black Madonnas that are all different colors and um, I mean, they're all black, but all different skin colors. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some are gender non-conforming. Some are gender conforming. Um, some, some are pregnant. Some have their like breast exposed and are breastfeeding. Um, some are thin. Some are not, not as thin. Like, and just realizing that we can all find ourselves in her body. Mm. And yeah. that it's important for me as a cis black woman who is upwardly mobile to recognize that I am not the complete opposite of white male God, black trans women are. Mm. And so if mm. God is a black woman and God is and the idea of God as a black woman is about making right the social system, then we need to ascribe and affirm sacredness and, and divinity to tr- black trans women who are like extremely at the opposite of white male God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's in, the, so my, this whole journey has expanded my own theology of gender too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's been really powerful. Wow. That's amazing. And I think that that will be powerful for so many of us, you know, who know people who are struggling with their identity in so many different ways. So I think that's why your book is so powerful on so many levels. Another interesting thing, you know, you were talking about yoga because that was part of the weight, you know, thing. And then how your mother got all nervous because then you will not become like a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother did that all the time. If I did like, you know, you do dancing or something that's like mm-hmm. dancing with the devil or something. Totally. I had like all these yeah. parallel experiences and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, Christina. So you also, uh, so you share that and how your parents kind of, um, made you afraid of you're gonna you know not become a christian in, in their kind of sense and then you shared your christian um christianity today that article i remember when that article came out mm-hmm. but i did not know you i think you said you wrote you wrote that you had two death threats oh, i had because I had, of, I had a few yeah yeah so i i was like yeah. wow so was that a very like that article when it came out was that a pivotal time for you to kind of leave evangelicalism or have you already yeah left yeah or? that was yeah, yeah I mean that was 2015 I was still uh-huh. you know I was still speaking in some of those conferences because I had yeah. booked so far out in advance but uh-huh. I mean there were several things that happened in 2015 around um you know, the, the response to Black Lives Matter, you know, so mm-hmm. the awakening, I think, became the, the, the awakening with me in the evangelical church really began in 2012, 10 years ago with the response to Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when I, when I that's, that was the uh-huh. first time in my adult life where there's like an actual national conversation happening about blackness and race. And mm-hmm. I was seeing all these friends and colleagues who claim to be my family. And we're all, you know, we're all part of the family of God and everything. And they just like, were completely falling apart with any conversation about race and just unwilling almost like you know just the same pushback you get for white christ it's like well obviously i mean he's a black kid he's dead obviously he deserved it you know what i mean like just that kind of stuff so that was kind of the beginning of the awakening but i think um by 2015 i had written a book for the evangelical church spoken in all the places and had seen firsthand the hypocrisy and the Mm. fact that like these people don't actually care 
they just need a Black History Month speaker, or they need somebody to make them feel good about themselves this one year, or they're dealing with a, a public public relations crisis because someone hung a noose on their campus or something like that. You know what I mean? But like, Mm -hmm. so I I was a little bit more jaded by the time the 2015 article came out. It was okay. So when I got all those death threats, I was like, yeah, I'm out. Like, this is ridiculous, you know, because it was like such a gentle article. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was a great article. I thought it was was fantastic. And I think that's just what showed me how much the white Christian world in general is disgusted mm-hmm. by blackness and literally could not handle the possibility of blackness being sacred. You know what I mean? Like it was almost like this like puke reaction, you know, it was so like, and that to me, I was just like, yeah, like these people do not have the theological imagination to see my sacredness. That They're is incapable. so painful. It was painful for me mm-hmm. to hear you right now, but then also in your book, when you're sharing all that, mm-hmm. you know, that because we all created in God's image and for mm-hmm. some people, they can preach about it, but they cannot kind of live, live that. Yeah, yeah. Live it. And that's and so, the disconnect, yeah. I think, between theology and theological imagination. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it's uh-huh. like, yeah, they, they spout these words. Like, oh, yeah. We're all loved. They write like, about it. <laughs> write about it I know I'm like oh well your book about justice was good your life about justice isn't good yeah. your book about- <laughs> exactly but this yeah the embodiment <laughs> and living it out yeah. is a totally different thing and it's a much harder thing just like you know sometimes I preach it's much easier to preach on something than to actually live it you know oh, after totally. you preach yeah totally well there were several yeah. times I mean part of the reason why this book took a few years to get out is because um, there were several times where I was writing and I just realized I can't write this with integrity. There's work I need to do. Mm-hmm. And, I'm you, writing... and you write that in the book too. Yeah, you wrote mm-hmm. that in the book in certain yeah. places. Yeah. yeah, like I'm writing about how, you know, the sacred black feminine transforms yeah. my need to control everything. But here I am over here trying to control things with my sister or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so um, stepping away from, from chapters mm-hmm. for months at a time and saying, you know what? Like I have work. She wants me to be more free. This is an invitation mm-hmm. to be more free. It's not about perfection. It's, I mean, I know I'm never going to live a life of hundred percent integrity, mm-hmm. but I, it's like, I could hear the inner wisdom within me saying, mm-hmm. this is a chance to be more free, Christina. Mm-hmm. And you've been hurt by the people who've written yeah. things that are wildly different than their lives. Of course, we want to give yeah. people space to be human. I'm not expecting anyone to be perfect, mm-hmm. but I mean, I- I've been colleagues with people who are famous on their work on justice and every single black person in the building hates them you know what I mean and so it's like okay clearly there's a disconnect because the black people hate you it's not just like the black people don't care about you like the black people hate you you know <laughs> yeah you're speaking at the justice conference you know what I mean like okay there's something going on here right and so that's why I think a big part of God as a black woman is about bringing these things together, bringing the mess mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. It's okay. To, and you do okay it so beautifully. Say, you know, it's uh-huh. okay to say, I'm struggling with this. And I'm also uh-huh. writing about this principle and there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Help yeah. me and you did it very nice. Oh, yeah. You, you did it so beautifully and so nicely. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a great book. I'm like, like I said at the beginning, I wish it was a book that I wrote, you know, as a Korean woman, not as a black woman, but I just thought it was so powerful in so many levels, easy to read. It just, just, 
gets you right from the beginning and it won't let you go until you come to some peace within you. So it's a very challenging book and I'm so grateful. So just, you know, I would love to talk with you all day long and, and we need to one day <laughs> get together and do that. But for our listeners, what is your next project? I know you have all these projects yeah, going on and things. you're always doing something <laughs> you're like going a thousand miles an hour so what is the next thing that you're working on or yeah. what is your next book that you're doing so I am working on three different books but you know oh my God. But, but but they won't all be like some, one of them's like a 10-year project you know uh-huh, another one's okay. like a five-year project and there's uh-huh. another one I'm hoping to get out in the next couple of years so we'll see okay it's because life happens too yeah um, so uh-huh. I am working on um I'm working my, the, the book that's the most urgent is really kind of like a practical spirituality of uh-huh. um of God as a black woman so uh-huh. um this you know God as a black woman people got to see my journey and a big question uh-huh. that people are coming up with is like how do I do this like how do I uh-huh. get free in the way that you have what are the practices what are the principles that guided your yeah. journey uh-huh. so something uh, more okay. of a manual yeah uh-huh. um and then also that would be a um, good follow-up to god is perfect a perfect follow-up yeah, yeah a really good uh-huh. follow-up yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. And then also, um, we're, I'm, I'm launching next month, a virtual black Madonna pilgrimage. And so we're wow. going to go and like return to all of the black Madonnas in the book and allow people <sighs> to have their own transformation and their own journey. So wow. yeah, that's a great thing for people that's coming up like in April, starting. In April. Yeah. So that's yeah. exciting. So hopefully this pod will ca- podcast will come up before your pilgrimage. <laughs> I hope people will join you, those who are listening, that they can join you on the pilgrimage and will go out and buy. Um, I had Trip Fuller. I don't know if you know Trip Fuller. Trip Fuller is like, you don't need to read my book. You can just buy it. So anyway, oh. I'm hoping that people will buy your I book. I would like God people a, to buy it. Buy it. Yeah, and read it. Yeah. So and then, go and, and gift buy. it. And then gift it. Yeah, gift yeah. it. That's a, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it makes a great gift. <laughs> it's a powerful gift. And I think it's a life-changing book. So thank you so much for going on that pilgrimage and for writing it and taking your time with it, because I think that just made it so strong, so powerful, so empowering and so enlightening in so many ways. It really moved me and touched me. And I know it won't be just me. I know it has already touched so many people since the book came out. So thank you, Christina, for spending this time with me on Madang and hope to have you back another the time when your second book that come that follows this one will be out too so thank you so much for all the work that you do the justice work the speaking and the writing you just inspire me to work even harder so thank you so much for your time thank you grace it's wonderful to be here with you thank you please join over 3,000 people on homebrewed christianity's jesus deconstructed Rediscover the freaking awesome Jesus this Lent. This is an online pop-up learning community with Dr. Diana Butler-Bass and Dr. Tripp Fuller. Make sure you read their books too. Follow Homebrewed Christianity as Dr. Fuller has other amazing weekly podcasts. Join him as he celebrates 14 amazing years of podcasting and has become the most listened to theological podcast in the world. The Rainbow Push Coalition is an international human and civil rights organization founded by Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, Sr. Rainbow Push Coalition seeks to empower people through the effective use of grassroots advocacy, issue orientation, and connections between the greater community and the disenfranchised. Please join Rainbow Push 
and please donate. And please join the 7th Annual Push Tech, which is happening on May 18 to 19, 2022. Please go to www.rainbowpush.org and please join today. While every statistic available today shows the church in the West is in multi-generational decline, the opposite is true almost everywhere else. The churches of non-Western cultures have seen extraordinary and sustained growth for decades, places like Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Insights from churches from these cultures can help renew the worldwide church. They have the power to invest Western and global mission, worship and discipleship with new vibrancy. Learn more at theglobalchurchproject.com. Show your support and please order Invisible, available wherever books are sold. For sponsorship inquiries, please email madangpodcast.gmail.com.